It's sad sometimes, you, you know, you hear about pastors who feel very lonely and all that stuff. I have to say that's not something I feel. I have good friends in the church and also, you know, I always feel there's people like Pete and John and John Tony that are really with me in it, you know. So, uh, yeah, I just thought I'd say that and thank you for that and almost being part of... Um, you know, coming down here just reinforces that relationship and everything else. So, yeah, it's a great church to be part of. We sang that song, didn't we? I need you every hour. My word, I left the home this morning. I said to Bronwyn, I've got no confidence in me whatsoever. But I've got full confidence that the word of God will just go out and do what it does. It's a great place to be because uh, we're speaking on the life of Joseph today. And he actually got to a place where um, he'd been in prison and Pharaoh heard that there was somebody in prison who could interpret dreams. So he, he said, okay, get him out, get him out. And then Pharaoh, Joseph stands before Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, oh, I hear you can interpret dreams. And Joseph says something very significant. He says, I can't. Uh, but God will show you what you need to, like all glory to God. But if you remember Joseph when he was 17, he was fairly full of himself. He never did anything too much wrong. He was his spoiled child. He was his father's favorite. He had four mums, 12 kids, one of the most dysfunctional families you'll come across. The father only loved one of the women, that was Rachel, and he loved one of the kids at that time, because I don't think Benjamin had been born, but he loved one of the kids and one of the women. I mean, imagine growing up, you're one of the others. The other wives or the other kids. And you just know, you're just making up the furniture, really. You're not loved. And so Joseph was loved, and of course they hated him for it. Some of these kids are laughing. They're going, I know who the favorite is in our family. I know who's the one who can't do anything wrong. We're all victims in Britain, just in case you don't know. We're all full of self-pity, aren't we? Uh, Myself included. But no, uh, Joseph... Uh, was the favorite. He was indulged. He hadn't done an awful lot wrong, but um, his father made it clear he was the favorite. He gave him, as you know, the special coat, which really said, you're not getting your hands dirty, mate. Even though you're the youngest, you will supervise all your older brothers and sisters. Bring me regular reports of where they're going wrong. I mean, no wonder they hate him. But you can't say it was all to do with Joseph's fault. I'm sort of digressing, but we're talking today lessons from the life of Joseph. Joseph's life takes up probably 12, 15 chapters in Genesis. We're going to do it in 30 minutes. So um, the life of Joseph. Anybody here Spanish? Nope. Anybody eaten tapas? Yeah. Good, isn't it? And so with tapas, what you get is a little bowl of that, little bowl of that, little bowl of that. In Britain, we have a big Sunday roast, don't we? You'll go home now to a big Sunday roast. I won't. My wife's South African. She don't do roast. It's terrible. There are a lot of good things about being married to Bronwyn. But every Sunday I walk home, my neighbors, the roast smell happens. But we like a big meal, don't we? But the Spanish, they like a little bit of that, and a little bit of this, and a little bit of this, a little bit of that. This is what we're doing today. Four mini-sermons. Four little bowls rather than one big bowl, okay? And we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph to illustrate that. Well, I'm going to assume that you know a lot about the life of Joseph because whether you've grown up in church or not, there's films like Prince of Egypt, there's Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, 
There's Jason Donovan. There's all these people that tell us about the life of Joseph. So there's a lot of stuff there. I'll assume you know something. We've already said about the early part of his life. 17 years old. Brothers hate him. Spoiled brat, they think. And they want to kill him. This is a dysfunctional family. It's not a nice family. When you look at Genesis, you will see nothing but dysfunctional families. And what you don't want to do is go, ah, well, if it's good enough for Abraham, Isaac, Jacob... You know, I'm not doing too bad. You don't want to compare yourself to the people in Genesis. Because what you've got to remember is they had God, but they didn't. They're not people of the new covenant like us. They weren't born again. They don't have the Holy Spirit, that power. The New Testament says we've got everything we need for life and godliness. You know, they didn't have what we have. They may have had amazing experiences of God. They may have had amazing dreams, amazing visions, angels, all that stuff. But on the ongoing basis, they weren't partakers of this new covenant. We have got special privileges. So don't compare people of the Old Testament to, to yourself. And God, compared to them, I'm doing really great. Because it's really not the way to act. And so, in this dysfunctional family, they want to kill him. And they then scheme. And they say, well, tell dad that an animal took him, ripped his coat. But in actual fact, they relent. They sell him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. There's so many similarities between Joseph's life and Jesus' life. That is just one. I wish I had time to tell you about 50 others, but he got sold for 20 pieces of silver. And uh, he ends up then in Egypt, and he gets to be a slave or a servant in the house of a guy called Potiphar. I'm just bringing the story up to where we start. And uh, come on, let's face it. Have you seen the new Meerkat advert? Automated. And it's set in a beautiful clifftop house. I'm somewhere like Beverly, not Beverly Hills, that's not on the coast, is it? But anyway, some beautiful. Now, if you're going to be a servant and you're going to be managing a household, there are good places to do it in. Uh, you know, I'm a builder and sometimes if I'm building in a house overlooking the sea, I have a happy day. Beautiful. Sometimes I'm in some horrible little flat, you know, with no windows and I think. And so I would suggest to you that Joseph is in a fairly nice environment, even though he's a slave. And uh, his great thing, another thing that we can learn about Joseph, is that as far as I see, he was very unprone to self-pity. That's one of my weaknesses, self-pity. You see, if I'd done not much wrong, been left, or brothers want to kill me, I then get sold as a slave, treated badly, and then end up in slavery, sweeping, cooking, all those things, I would probably be brushing like this. Poor old me. You know, I thought life was going to be all right. It's turned out terrible. I'd probably be fairly consumed with all the bad stuff. But Joseph, wherever he goes, it says, the Lord was with him and he excelled. It's a real thing. You know, Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. I mean, I struggle with that sometimes. If I'm doing a job for somebody who's horrible, it's not so easy to just cheerfully, yes, I'll do that, sir. No problem, sir. You know, some people don't give you a cup of tea all day. I don't feel like doing little extras for them. But other people give you cake and all that stuff. And you say, no problem, lady. I'll fix your gut room for nothing, you see. And so it's no different for Joseph. He's in a place and he's doing a job. But nothing about him speaks of self-pity. Wherever he goes, even in prison, he excels. He impresses. He does. He walks the extra mile. He does everything to be a good worker, if you like. Lesson for all of us on that. And so we get to the first little mini lesson. Defining moments past the test. Let's look at Genesis 39, 
6 to 10. So Potiphar, that's his boss, left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Oh, I should have a pot noodle tonight. <laughs> Tin of ambrosia cream rice. That's all he had to worry about. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, this is X-rated stuff. Hope there's no too many young children here. It was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master, that's Potiphar, does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. In other words, I'm the boss, apart from him, obviously. You know, I'm the main man. He's given everything. He's put everything and everybody under my authority. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Because why? Obviously, you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. I love those last five lines because sometimes, you know, it's the way of the world. We know the flirtation that goes on in the world, but sometimes even in churches, there can be a little subtle feeling going out. And you think, ooh, I actually quite like this person or I think they really like me or something. And it's a, yeah, But it's not healthy. It's not licit, if you like. It's out of the, what should be the boundaries. And sometimes we have to take tough decisions and go, I better not spend too much time with that person. Either way. And uh, what I love about Joseph, he doesn't just go, no, and just hang around. But, you know, it's been a nice day, hasn't it? He just gets right away from the temptation. Pulls himself right away. It's a lesson for that in all of us. You know, those of you who've been uh, involved in drug or alcohol addiction know that you can't really go in the pub and just hang out. You know, it's sort of get right away from it. And Joseph here is going, I'm getting right away from it. But hell hath no fury like a scorned woman, and she is not happy. But what I love about this, this is a defining moment. And I want to say to all of you here, you will have some defining moments in your life. They don't come along every week. But maybe you'll get one this year. Maybe you've got one right now at this minute. A defining moment where you're facing something where you've got a choice. This way or that way. Think of the Methodist church now and some of their ministers. And they're at a place where it's a defining moment. What are they going to do? And um, I've had them in my life. And I would encourage you, in your defining moments, pass the test. What Joseph does here is passes the test. He says, no. Very tempting, I would suggest. Probably Potiphar is doing a lot of work. He's a workaholic. She's probably attractive. I mean, it's so easy for him. He could justify it with all the bad things that have happened to me. I surely owe myself this one little treat or something. He could have easily justified it. But he just goes, no way, I can't do it. He passes the test. What I find amazing is this. You remember in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve. God gives them everything. So it's just one thing you can't do. Eat from that tree. Defining moment, they fail. They fall. The world is ruined. Joseph will give you everything. It's almost like he knows that. I'm thankful, by the way, to somebody in our church who pointed this out because they said it the other day. And I thought, wow, this is so similar. Joseph goes, everything. My pastor's entrusted me with everything. Just one thing. I can't control, if you like, or be in charge of. And that's you. That's forbidden fruit. Can't take it. Brilliant. He passes the test. 
And it says in the Bible that God's eyes range throughout the earth looking for those people whose hearts are fully committed to him so that he can strengthen them, so that he can really work with them. And God is looking for people like you. He'll give you a few tests, a few defining moments in your life. And if you pass, he goes, yes. He's proved faithful in small things. I can give him loads now. He's passed this defining moment. Now, we don't always, by the way. And we fall sometimes. But... What I'm suggesting is when you get your defining moments and you know it, and even though it's costly to obey, God can give you so much more going forward and you'll have so much less circumstance and baggage in your life. Just think of David. David had a defining moment. He looked out. He owned everything. Everything was potentially his, but he saw some forbidden fruit. Bathsheba. And he said, bring that lady up. And then he... Does what he does, and then he has her husband killed. Terrible episode in his life. The consequences of that went through with him for years after years after years. His sons didn't respect him. They're like, oh, yeah, Dad, you're lecturing us. What about what you did? Eh? Who are you to tell us? They fact, hated him. Absalom hated him. Wanted to kill him. So even though God didn't turn his back on David, and he will never turn his back on you, when you make bad choices in your defining moments... You just have to accept that there will be consequences for maybe many years after that. Doesn't mean he's finished with you. All right? He's never finished with you. So I urge you, please, in these moments, make good choices in defining moments. I remember our church plant in Liscard, 2012 13. It had grown from five to about 18. And then it went to 16 and 15 and 13, 12, 11. John Tony rang up. You must be really struggling now. Yes, we are. He said, every church plant I know has had its defining moment when it's had to decide, are we called or are we not called? Are we in this or are we not in this? Are we going to fight or are we not going to fight? He said, I believe this is your defining moment. And we said, okay, we trust God. We'll go forward again. And since then, it's never stopped growing. Defining moments. He said exactly the same happened at Penzance. So defining moments, please, you'll get them. And when you've got one, you'll know it. Please, I urge you, if it's the hard way, go the hard way. But don't compromise. Second thing, second meal, second bowl of tapas, the healing balm of Gilead. It's so good today because I was going to ask for the song that goes, what the enemy, I can't sing, means for evil, you turn it to our good and for your glory. Does anybody know that song? One, that's great. And... uh, (laughs) It's, it's weird because it's a really big song, isn't it? I mean, it's like, you know, it's not new or anything. It's just out there. You're, you're always so ahead of us. But in this one moment, we, we've been singing this song for years, okay? And um, so I was going to ask. And a good job I didn't ask because uh, you'd have gone, don't know it. But best of we've actually got one that's similar. It's called Waymaker. And I love that song. And if there was a song today to go with this sermon, it would be Waymaker. If there's a song that is the theme over Joseph's life, it's Waymaker. Even when I don't feel it, you're still working. Even when I don't see it, you're still working. But I loved a couple of other lines that said, you are here healing every heart. You are here mending every heart. You see, God is Jehovah Rapha, one of his names, the Lord our healer. And the Old Testament talks about the healing balm of Gilead, which was an ointment that was really good at muscular pains, arthritic pains, all sorts of 
bodily aches and so on. The healing balm of Gilead. And I want to suggest to you that God is looking to bring healing into your life. But I also want to say something to you. That the Bible says God injures and he heals. He wounds and he binds up. Now you might freak out of that and go, what? Is it some sort of random thing? I might be the one who gets injured and he might be the one who gets healed. And maybe today his mood is he's going to injure me and tomorrow. No, 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 no. God injures us and God heals us just like a loving father does. I have to tell my son some things sometimes that hurt him. Okay. I injure him and I don't, I don't regret it. Sometimes he needs to be injured. Sometimes we need to be injured for our own good. Yesterday he was playing football. He's a great footballer. Top scorer, I'm boasting now. Top scorer in the whole of the Plymouth and District League, okay? But his coach and I recognize his one or two little weaknesses in his game. And yesterday, they, you know, I said, come on, we want to see this. And the game is on. And one of these weaknesses is that when the ball comes to him, he tends to wait for it to come to him. Defender nipped in in front of him, got the ball. They went up and scored. Coach said, off you come, Malachi. <laughs> off you come. At that age, they can go back on again. Off you come. Come on, man. He gave him the biggest hug. He said, I'm taking you off because you know what you've done wrong. You've got to sort this out. And he gave him the most big hug. You're not allowed to know health and safety. You're not meant to touch children. I was so pleased that that coach gave him a big hug. And he did it again later in the game, and the same happened again. You see, the coach injured, took him off, disciplined, but he healed. The coach's heart is not to injure my son. The coach's heart, he loves him, I can tell. It's like, I want to build this guy up. I want him to be the best he can be. And this is how God is with us. Okay, so God injures and he heals. And he injures Joseph because Joseph was a bit full of himself. That was his only problem. And over a few years of trial, Joseph gets to this place where he goes, actually, without God, I'm nothing. And really, I probably am a bit full of myself. And maybe I need to be humbled and all this sort of stuff that happens when we go through hard times. And so we see this in Genesis 41, 46 to 52. Joseph was 30 years old. Another similarity with Jesus. When he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. He became the prime minister. Remember when I said you pass these defining moments, God can do great things with you. He goes from being in prison for something he hadn't done wrong. To leading the biggest nation in the world at that time. Incredible. So Joseph was 30 years old, traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, you know the story, the dreams, there will be seven years of plentiful, seven years of famine. Joseph understands the dream. He gets all prepared during the fat years for the lean years. So Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said this. Just take these two sons' names. It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. This is the first son. This is beautiful, isn't it? He's had his hard years. He's languished in jail for doing nothing wrong. He's been hated by his brothers, persecuted, just like Jesus. Jealous people persecuting him. 
He's lost his father that he loved. He hasn't seen his father now for 13 years so far. He loved Jacob, his father. Jacob loved him. He's in pain. He's been in pain for 13 years. Have any of you been in pain for 13 years? I suggest that Jacob was in pain too. He'd been told his son had been taken away by a wild animal. He missed his son. There's pain and pain and pain. But all of a sudden, God injures and God heals. He's healing every heart. The whole nature of God, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. The thrust of God is healing, not injuring. That's just something he has to do sometimes. But the big thing in our lives is that he wants to bring healing. And so Joseph goes, look at life's looking up. I've got a lovely wife. I've got two lovely kids. I'm a big shot in Egypt. It's going pretty well. In fact, I'm going to call my child Manasseh because God has made me forget all that trouble. It seems so far ago now. Have any of you experienced that as believers? I've been a Christian 20, 30 years now. I was a non-Christian for 29 years or 26 years or something. I, I had a lot of trauma. I can hardly remember it. Life is better. Life is good. I've had traumas even as a Christian. I had two awful years in church before I joined Light and Life. It, I can't even remember it now. It's good. God's brought healing. It's so distant, that stuff. Now, I may have further traumas. You may have them. But God brings healing to, in the end, you heard the f- testimonies of Felix and Bonner down here, didn't you? Incredible. Bit by bit, Felix still wakes up some nights with traumatic dreams, you know, PTSD dreams. But he knows that every day he takes a step forward in the kingdom of God, it's, it's vanishing bit by bit, the old stuff, the old temptations, the old dreams, the old whatever. It's sort of going. He's now got married. Maybe soon he'll have kids. I don't know. But you see God doing this, this restoration. It's beautiful. And wait for the second son. The second son he named Ephraim. And he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Isn't that amazing? This is the place. Egypt was my hellhole. Egypt was the place where I got trafficked to. Egypt was the place where I languished in jail. But all of a sudden, in the land of my suffering, wow, I'm the fruitful one. I'm the one being used to save thousands of lives. I'm the one who's got wealth. I've got everything. Now I've got wife, kids, all these things. I am fruitful. This very place that was my bad place has suddenly become my good place. Do any of you know that? Kieran. He's fruitful in the land of his suffering. He's fruitful in St. Austell, as far as I'm aware. He had a lot of sufferings in St. Austell. He probably caused a lot of suffering in St. Austell. But now he's fruitful in the land of his suffering. I don't want to get too hooked up on geographical lands because we also have spiritual lands. Some of you, like you say, have been come from backgrounds of addiction. The very land that caused you suffering and pain can be the very place where you see then in years to come a lot of fruit. Fruitful in amongst those people now. God's healed me. Now I can be fruitful to others. Your land of suffering might be bereavement. It might be financial meltdown and bankruptcy. And all of a sudden, like that guy who runs Cap, he went bankrupt and now he's fruitful in the land of debt, isn't he? Incredibly fruitful. 
I love this. This is a God. This speaks. So if you're suffering today, if you're in a place where you think, I'm going to tell you that God will make you, if you allow him, fruitful in the land of your suffering. That's something to hang on to. The next one, third out of four. Don't lose hope. It's easy for me to say, isn't it? Some of you may be in situations where you're going, I can't see any hope right now. Jacob, think of Jacob's, uh, Joseph's dad, that poor guy. He was a bit of a naughty boy, wasn't he? One of the dodgiest businessmen you'll come across and really dishonest. But bit by bit, God sovereignly molded him, shaped him, changed him until in the end, he sort of wrestles with God and in the end submits. It's a long, drawn out process with a lot of pain in the process. But eventually he gets there and God begins to reveal himself to Joseph through dreams. I mean, Jacob through dreams and wonderful experiences, okay? He gets there in the end, Jacob. And then he has all these women and all these kids. Not good again. But I believe that he was totally confident that a great nation was going to happen through his descendants. His grandfather, Abraham, would have told him about the ways the angels visited him. The father would have told him as well. Isaac, you know, God spoke to me, confirmed the promise. It's going on to you. You've now got the blessing. I have no doubt that he knew that he was in the purposes of God. And I believe that he assumed that his first son, Joseph, was the one to take it on. But all of a sudden, Joseph's dead. He's not really. But Jacob thinks he's dead. He hasn't seen him for 15 years as far as he was. No, he died 15 years ago. I'm going to try to look at all the scriptures now, but he never got over it. Some of you maybe have lost children. You don't get over it very easily. 13 years later, he's probably just thinking, I'm sure you spoke to me, God, but it just, nothing makes sense. You see, we've got the little picture, haven't we? God knows he's alive, but Joseph doesn't. The brothers have told him that he got eaten by a bear or something, or a wolf, or a lion. Poor Jacob is sat back there with his life in ruins, really. Everything that he thought God had spoken to him. Everything that he just assumed that this is what God was going to do. Have you ever been in those situations where you really felt God was taking you in a certain direction and things happen and it seems to just throw it all into disarray? You may be in that place right now. Don't lose hope. This is what happens. As you know, the brothers go down and they see Joseph. The dream comes true. They bow down to him. And Joseph, in the end, reveals himself. He plays a few games with them. And then he reveals himself and says, go and get my dad. I want to see my dad. I haven't seen him for 13 years. I miss a story in a Bible that makes me emotional now. Can you imagine it? Just bring dad down. He's the leader of Egypt. Bring, bring dad down. So in Genesis 45, they went up out of Egypt and came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is the ruler of all Egypt. I can't believe what a thing to come back and say to him. He's not just alive. He's just like in charge of America right now. You know, I mean, what a thing to be told. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and then he saw the carts, probably very fancy, Joseph had sent to carry him back. The spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. Just go on that one line. The spirit of their father, Jacob, revived. Disappointment 
And uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I mean, there's something about disappointment that just makes us go like that. So many disappointments in life. Dare I hope for anything ever again. This is the place that Jacob's in. And all of a sudden, the news comes. He is revived. Some of you may be in the the lull at the minute. I want to tell you that you will get a time when it revives. When the thing, you suddenly go, I now get it. You know, I went to Bible college in 1993. I thought I was going to be a pastor by 95. Not that I was like, had any big dream of being a pastor. 2014. I was childless until I was 44. It's a long time when you want kids. You know, I had 15 years of painful, oh, what are you doing? God, a thought, a thought. It comes in the end, but often there's a big, long wait. And so this thing revives And Israel, that's Jacob, said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. The faith begins to rise again. I'll go and see him before I die. I'll pass on all the things that God has stored to me. I'll go and see him. Get this whole thing back on track. So Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision again. He hadn't done it for years, I bet. Some of you will be sitting here today going, I remember those days when God used to do this. God used to do that in my life. It's been a long, barren period. Don't lose hope. In fact, maybe just turn back to him and go, God, I'm going to risk again. I'm going to believe in you again. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Don't be afraid. Israel or Jacob's probably going, what's going on? I thought it was the land of Canaan that it was all going to happen. And now I'm going down to Egypt. And God is with him. He goes, don't worry. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. I'll make you a great nation there. And then I'll bring you back up to Canaan. He got the big picture, God. Jacob's fumbling around like all of us with a little picture going, I don't understand. Egypt don't make any sense to me. That's what it's like for us. He often says, do things that don't make any sense. And so there he is. I will go down to Egypt with you and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Beautiful. Your son's going to be there when you die and he'll just, it's going to end beautifully. Well, there you are. Don't lose hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but God is a God of hope. He's a God who brings healing and fruitfulness in the land of our suffering. He gives us defining moments which he longs us to pass. And finally, which really could be the theme of Joseph's life. He is sovereign over all. Genesis 50, 15 to 20. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? If you do bad stuff, you're always on edge, aren't you? (laughs) What if we're... No, he's only been nice to us because dad's still around. Now that dad's died, I guess this is when we get what's coming to us. He's probably just pretended to be nice while dad's been alive. Now, we better make up a story. They still scheme. It's brilliant. They still scheme. So they sent word to Joseph. This was a complete lie. They made it up. They sent word to Joseph saying, uh, uh, dad left these instructions before he died. He, he said, this is what you've got to say to Joseph. Uh, Forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins. Do what dad says. Dad didn't even say it. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. All that pain. Have you ever done that? As God heals you? 
I remember getting baptized. The day I baptized, I was floods of tears, crying my eyes out. I thought, what am I crying for? It's meant to be a good day. I'm getting baptized. But it was like relief. It was like all that pain just going. It was happy crying, if that makes sense. Have you ever had that? Just happy crying. I remember coming out of hospital once when I had a, I just had my first child, Malachi. And the doctor saw something up my nose. They said, oh, go straight in for a pre-med. Don't look at my notes. I thought, flip, I've got cancer. My wife's pregnant. This is bad. And um, they did a biopsy and they said, couldn't find anything. Don't know what they're talking about. I came out of that hospital. I cried my eyes out. I was happy though. And so maybe Joseph is crying out of happiness. Maybe he's crying out of whatever. I don't know. But the pain's coming out. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. Remember the first dream? We are your slaves, they said. (laughs) But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What a key line. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, including you and dad. Because you'd have all died in the famine. The famine was in Canaan as well. Apart from that, he's saving thousands and thousands and thousands of lives right across Israel and across that part of the world. In other words, Joseph in his maturity now and in his hindsight, like all of us do in hindsight, we look back, we hate it at the time, we hate the struggle, we hate the pain, we hate the mistreatment, we hate it all, and we fight against it probably and moan about it. But then some years on, we go, oh, best thing that ever happened to me, losing that job. Best thing that ever happened to me, that person betraying me. Best thing that ever happened to me, that was. Because these hard moments have a wonderful way of maturing us, changing us, changing our directions. And so Joseph now maturely is able to go, you guys, you were rotten to me. But I'm really glad you were. Because God has brought so much good out of this. Isn't that a great place to be? Have you seen that film of that American girl who had her arm bitten off by a shark? Brilliant. Well, not brilliant. What I mean is, the film... No, but she actually says, she actually says, I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't change it. I bet she didn't feel like that an hour later or even a week later or a month later. But now she looks back and goes, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. Fantastic. What about Joni Erickson? Dived in a pool, got paralyzed, 12 years old. I think she was about 12, 13. I I bet she wasn't over happy the day after, the week after, the month after. But she gets to a place where she goes, I am so glad I wouldn't have my life any other way. It's just beautiful. There's a Technicolor dream coat right there. <laughs> and so um, Joseph gets to this place where he goes, even what the enemy meant for evil, you turn it to our good and to your glory for the saving of many lives. This is exactly a picture again of Jesus, isn't it? What the enemy just meant for evil on Jesus, hammer him at the cross, spit at him, beat him, do all that stuff, all that mistreatment. Ah, you're getting killed. The enemy thinks he's won. What the enemy means for evil, God turns it to our good. We have the resurrection of power of Jesus Christ in our lives now because God turned it to our good. Whatever circumstances you're in right now, we know that verse in in Romans 8.28 that says, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. All things work together. 
Not some things. All things. If you're born again, if you're a believer in Christ, if you've put your life in his hands, all things in your life work together for your good and for the glory of God. In the end. So I've finished. Four little meals. I think the gist of the whole thing is that we see this beautiful picture of the sovereignty of God in Joseph's life from the start right to the end. We can identify it when we look back at our lives. We go, wow, God was there when I didn't see it. God was there when I didn't see it. Even when I don't see it, you never stop working. Even now when we don't see it, we just have to trust. We have to keep our hope. We have to believe that he is good. We have to believe he's sovereign. He hasn't got off the throne. He's not having a day off. He hasn't forgotten about us. You never stop working. I'll finish on this. That lovely line from the book of Joel, eh, when he says this. He says to Israel, he's injured them. He, set, he sent a plague of locusts through the nation. It's not been good for them. He's injured them. They've needed a bit of a rebuke. They've strayed so far from God. He says to them this, I will repay you. For all the years, the locust has eaten. The hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. God will restore the years the locust has eaten. You have a couple of tough years, you stay faithful to God, he'll more than bring you back up again. Just like Job ends up even more blessed than he was before his trials. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the lessons we can learn from the life of Joseph. Thank you that you're sovereign. We thank you that your name is the God who heals, even if at times we have to go through a bit of injury. And Lord, we trust that you're a good, good father. Perfect father, perfect in all your ways. Help us, Lord. If any of us lack faith, any of us lack hope right now, any of us are just so, like, I, I just don't get it, God. Pray your peace will come. Your hope will come. Your love will come. And you will grant faith. That we can walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God bless every single person here. And Lord, I pray confidently that you will repay the years that the locust has eaten. In Jesus' name, amen.